podcast world. What's going on? Chad building another episode of this life ain't for everybody. Thank you guys so much for the support. It's truly humbling to see the growth of our audience. Please keep telling your friends to subscribe, leave us a rating and review today. We're coming at you from music city, America, Nashville, Tennessee, the home of the Opry, the home of the rhyme and the home of music row 16th and 17th Avenue. The history of this city excites me. It inspires me. It intrigues me. I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for my little girl, Alyssa, I would move here. I absolutely love Nashville. And the person that I'm sitting down with has a lot of ties to the city. He's from the state of Georgia, but I know for a fact he's been coming to Music City for a long time. He is my all-time favorite. I told him this a couple weeks, about a month ago. I told him he's my all-time favorite outdoor personality in in front of the camera, um, whatever he's doing, whether it's bird hunting whether he's on the reservation in new mexico chasing big elk white tail out of a tree stand turkeys with his family everything that this man does and it also inspires me and i'm so excited i'm humbled michael waddell welcome my man thank you chad glad to be on here buddy appreciate you inviting me man i'm so like i'm like i just remember i telling you like I'm 45 years old. You're about the same. I'm 46. Yeah, you're 46. Yeah. And, Barely I, and I get giddy around you. Like, <laughs> you know, like I know we were just having a conversation about your son, knowing that he's going to get the, you know, you're going to see Brent Cobb this week and he yeah. gets giddy. There's, you know, I don't get that way, but I just, I got a lot of admiration, respect for what you've done. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. We'll talk about well, it more. Thank you, man. But this city right here is special to you. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Nashville, I'm like you, man. This, this whole, everything about the city, I got a lot of, friends a lot of artists i've always loved music and and if 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 i had another thing to do i would come here and try to be a country singer i got one problem i can't sing or play a guitar good enough so i guess i'll stick to hunting i guess me and you both stuck in the same deal you're gonna we're gonna chase duck elk and turkey and everything else but no i love nashville got so much respect for this city and and it's so cool to see all these artists you know whether they're playing rock and roll guitar you know or country music they so many of them love to hunt you know and so it's kind of cool so running across and getting a chance to share some time with some of these artists. There's so many that we can name, but it's just been really cool. And, yes, you're right, man. Big Brent Cobb fan, man. I, 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 I Dude, I want to meet the guy, man. Is he sure. amazing? Like, his songwriting. It's, un, it's unreal. He's the best songwriter, in my opinion, going right now. And I mean that. Like oh, I, I believe that. You listen to the way he puts words together. When you talk about Nashville, though, just give me one that's on the top of your head or that stands out memory. Was it? Have you been on Broadway drinking a cold beer with Blake Shelton? Have you hung with Miranda in a pink Cadillac convertible driving down the street? I mean, give me one that stands out that doesn't oh, have any, you know, that doesn't that nobody knows about. This is kind of a little, I guess, X-rated or R-rated, um, but yeah. So it, it, this was back in it was two thousand nine or two thousand ten. And we were up here for the CMA Fan Fest, and um, I was going through probably the most frustrating, difficult time of my life. And um, I go to Blake Shelton, had texted me, said, hey, man, we're having our fan club party. You should come over. So I had Nick and T-Bone and our crew, and I said, man, we would love to come by and um, love, to, love to come say hey. And so sure enough, we go, and, and it was really cool because – that particular year, he had Mel Tillis, and I was a big Mel. I love all the classic country guys, and so it's it's funny we go and and I had been a little overserved to be to be completely fair. Uh, I've never I've always been transparent with everybody, you know, and uh, yeah. I'm certainly not perfect. And Damn I had that, that 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 particular that particular night, I had uh, the crown and water had seemed to go down really well, and so I was feeling no pain other than the frustration I was going through in my life. Well, I go there, hang hang out with Blake. 
we laughed, met Mel Tillis. It was a happy night. Uh, Nick was there. And I remember we went and bought these little stupid little small cowboy hats, like kid cowboy hats, and uh, just to be a joke for Blake. And, of course, he's like, look at these idiots out there. And, and um, there was a lot of hunters out there, too. And so we were just having a good time celebrating with Blake, his fans, and, and just being a part of the festivities. And so anyway, later that night, Blake says, well, come, why don't you come out of the bus and have a drink? And I got to, you know, pill on out of here. And I said, man, we'd love to. And, of course, uh, at the time, uh, my wife, she she was real good friends with Blake. And at the time, he was still with Miranda. And and so, we, anyway, it was crazy. So I, I went out. And by this time, I had been uh, – I had a few more to drink. And so we go out there, and there's, there's some bone collector fans out there. And I, I stop, and I'm talking to them. And, I'd, and then Blake said, come on. So we go up on the bus. And I talk a little bit. Well, I go back out and I realize that I had forgot um, something of mine that was right outside of the bus. So I walked outside the bus. When I walked outside the bus to grab it, I think it was just a koozie or something. And and there was a couple gentlemen standing there and they're like, what hell, man, dude, come take a picture with us. So I walk over and they had these these stainless steel or like aluminum corridors and we couldn't get out of the, could you know, just to keep the people. Because Blake, this is after The Voice and he's just, you know, just huge huge star and everybody's wanting to get a picture with blake and it's just they had all kind of security around his bus so i walk over there never cross the corridor over into the uh to the crowd but i'm talking to these guys tell them we're talking hunting stories we take a few pictures and i maybe spent five or ten minutes just catching up and so i turn now my lady's in the bus along with nick munt t-bone and all our crew so i'm the only one out of this bus so i go to walk back on the bus and security guy says no you no, where's your credentials? I said, I don't, I don't have any credentials. And I said, uh, I'm, I was just on the bus. You watched me walk out. I said, I just come out here to get my koozie. And these gentlemen here just wanted to say hey to me. And so I'm trying my best not to, you know, be like, man, I mean, you don't know who I am. I, said, I hate those people who do that. You, yeah. you don't know me, you know, so I didn't do that. And so finally I'm like, seriously, you're not going to let me on the bus? He said, hell no, I'm not letting you on the bus. And he, and he pushed me. And so I'm like, what in the world? And so finally, I'm like, I get mad. I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. I, you saw me come out here. What's your beef with me, dude? I just come out of this bus to get this article, my koozie, and I'm walking back on. I went over to say hey to these guys. I said, we do a hunting show. And, you know, just like Blake, I'm not going to, you know, Blake always would stop and high five and say hey to everybody. And I said, you know, there's five people out here that know me, and I'm just being nice, you know. You're not getting back on that bus. And so finally, man, I just lose it, like completely lose it. And I, man, I don't know what all I said. The next thing I know, me and this, this security guard are about to go at it. And so now all of a sudden I didn't realize there was a lot more hunters out there. So they started, get him, Waddell, get him, we got your back. And so I'm like, oh, my God. So it goes crazy. So then I get to going crazy, like to rip my shirt off. Now rip my shirt off. Now I'm kicking these orange cones out there. I'm kicking these cones out down the street. And I look, and I don't know what's going on. The only thing that breaks it up, I look, and Blake is looking out the window, laughing (laughs) with a vodka drink up there, laughing so hard, just watching me act a fool. Now, granted, this wasn't a joke. Now, Blake didn't didn't set me up at all. He just knew that I was about to get in a fight. And he said, I was just going to watch you and say, I know they would have smoked you. There would have been about seven guys coming around the corner. And I was like, well, are you serious? And so I'm going crazy out there. So Blake's like, come on in. I was like, I ain't coming in your bus. I'm so mad. <laughs> and so I tell my wife, I said, come on, tell Nick and T-Bone. And we left, and I'm kicking every cone going down the street of Nashville. So that's the story nobody else knows. And the reason I tell that story about Nashville, so this was last year. That happened in 2009 or 10. So just 
last year, we're at our bone collector booth here in Nashville, Tennessee at the National Turkey Federation. And this guy comes up, and he's just got this smirk on his face the whole time. I see him in the line coming by, and he had bought a bone collector hat. He gets up there and says, man, you remember me? And I'm like, no, I, I don't, man. I said, we met before. And I said, really, where? And he said, Blake Shelton's fan club party. And he said <laughs> – he shows me this picture, Chad, and I got this white shirt on, and I'm just sweaty because it was in the summertime, and it's me and him take a picture. I said, is that right before the security guard wouldn't let me? He said, yes, dude, that was a picture, and I signed it for him, <laughs> and I run into it. So that's one of my favorite crazy memories of Nashville of, of the unhinged, unplugged that nobody knows, and that's the first time I ever told that story publicly so it was so on this you, podcast. you ripped so, off your dress shirt and you had a white, I ripped it off. White I had a white shirt no no I had nothing on I just <laughs> ripped it off I don't, I don't that's how you guarantee you got redneck papers is when you start to get in a, a fight you, you got to feel like you got to rip your shirt off so yeah. don't ask me why but that's just what we do and uh <laughs> but anyway that was a that was a crazy true story and every time I see Blake we laugh about it and it was a wild horse saloon that's where he'd had it and so uh I was so mad that night, and my wife still picks on me about it. I, I was kicking cones and just mad. Oh, I was mad. I was so mad. Is it something that will you look back and, and and not everybody that hunts develops those relationships that you're referring to, right? And I've watched you over the years. One of my favorite scenes of any show that you ever did, and I think it probably was road trips. It might have been, I think it was road trips. It was you and Rhett, and y'all were stuck in Alaska. Oh, yeah. And you're freestyle rapping in the snowstorm. You like you all got your plane couldn't get in to get you or something. Am, yeah. I, am I ringing a bell at all? Oh, absolutely. And do you remember this? You and Red Aikens, yes. who's arguably the probably the the number the most celebrated songwriter in the last fifteen years in Nashville. No doubt. The Georgia Peach Pickers. No doubt. Pickers. Is it that the the relationships that you've built? Do you have to sit back, Waddell, and just be like, what? What's going on here? Because not everybody does that. You yeah. you've hunted with them all. And where I'm going with that is that this lifestyle and this it's a blessing and it's a privilege to get to do what we do. You'll agree with that. 100%. To be what we get to do. and you stress that all the time. Isn't it awesome the common denominator of Blake Shelton's bus and 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 Miranda Lambert and you're doing this with the I mean you've been with them all Daryl Singletary, rest in peace Daryl, yeah, but he man, was a great yeah. friend of yours. One of the greatest voices that I've ever heard. Isn't it unbelievable that hunting can do I don't know if there's another lifestyle in the world that can do it is my is my point in, in where I'm going with this. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's definitely humbling and it's been crazy because I do now I kind of look back and, and it's funny we started, you know, a podcast talking about uh Cobb, who's just a heck of an artist that impressed us both, this new but you look back and um you know, it, there's so much you, you realize that these guys especially when it comes to the outdoor lifestyle, they share a lot in a lot in common what we like to do. And I think the cool thing about it, once you meet them and you break down whatever they might be in a barrier, and the cool thing about, same with your show, and especially road trips when we started that show, quickly I think people knew exactly who I was before they met me. And it was so funny and almost surprising that when I would hang out, even with an artist or just the public, there's like, dang, Waddell, you're just, you're the same in, in person. I'm like, well, there's, there's only one. I, I don't, you know, I'm not an actor. I, I don't know how to act. I, you know, I, you know, if, if whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it around my friends and I'll do it around you or anybody else. And so, um, for me, I think that was a cool thing about the artist part of it is to find out how much laid back some of those guys were quickly you become such good friends with them just by stripping it down. There was no, no, uh, really no holes barred you're talking about family you're talking about friends you're talking about drinking a beer you're talking about the good lord you're talking about a good country song you're talking about the best place to hunt elk duck mule deer whatever it is and so immediately 
you know, the people like Red Akins, even Blake, you just become really close buddies with them really quick. And, and, and you, you develop a lot of relationships the same way. And I think at the end of the day, and I finally it took me to this year, I look back on, on my career and, and just some of that. And it's not like I was looking for celebrities to hunt with. I just quickly, a lot of these people, you know, Blake and those names you talk about, Red Akins, those guys, you you just realize how much you had in common and how much security they had, and they made you more secure about what you were doing. And so you just become really tight friends with them, and and it just become something that was so cool. But at the end of it, it it was the culture that represented it was the hunting it was the outdoor lifestyle it was the the simple lifestyle of being in alaska being you know in duck camp being in deer camp and where they're laid back they're running you know got these prevos going up and down the highway doing all these meet and greets and so for me to respect what they did they respected i think slowing down and going back to their roots and also i realized i remember thinking back like man that was cool i wonder how i got so lucky and and i remember thinking back like man you know, I wonder what it was that 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 we had a chance to bond. You know, far as what why they had a chance to go hunting with me. There was thousands of hunting shows, and I got to looking back, and I really think this, and you do the same thing. I started realizing it isn't. I don't think necessarily somebody's hunting ability, and I've come to the conclusion now. You know, heck, I feel like an old man in the hunting industry. I feel like the oldest, youngest man in the industry. Well, hold even that thought because I want to go into that in a second yeah. about your age. <laughs> but I, I've I've come to the conclusion like man. I think it's about the fun. Uh, you can be, you don't have to be the best hunter. Uh, we all take pride in our hunting ability. I mean, if a turkey's gobbling, man, I want to trick him, get him in. If there's a deer standing out there 50, 60 yards, I want to take my bow and arrow and smoke him down every time. But at the end of it, I've, I've come to the conclusion, you might can out-hunt me, but you ain't going to out-fund me. And you're the same kind of guy. That's why I told you when I had a chance to meet you and Clay, I said, man, you, you guys bring so much positivity. And I think positivity and fun is what sells. And I think that's what's bonded you know, with these artists, I think it's what's bonded, you know, with you, even even some of the listeners here is because it really is about fun. We do it because it's fun. But if you do anything because of fun, whether it's write a get, you know, play a guitar, try to write a country song or hunt a deer, hunt a coyote, hunt a duck. If you have any kind of competitive drive, which most of us do, you want to get better at it. So you become pretty good at it, but you do it because it's fun. I mean, you know, Ray Lewis started playing linebacker because it was fun, but he become one of the best linebackers of all time. You started duck hunting because it was just fun. It's something you enjoyed. And I, I think the same thing is from these artists playing music. So I think when you combine all the fun of what we do, but yet you have the respect of the ability to try to take it to the highest level you can as far as ability, that you're not trying to talk about the ability. You're just talking about the common ground of the fun, the music. It's just all of a sudden you become good buddies and it just and lasts I, and a long I think time. And I think that what you're saying is, you know, the fun is, is, is obvious of what you do. But I, there's a there's that other component though that that stabilizes and it secures the friendship and and the the swapping of the cell phone the yeah. number and that that's a big deal because when you're at the level that these guys are that we're referring to and I could I can name fifteen others that you run with yeah <laughs> when you're when you when it gets to that part of the relationship that's a big part of it because now they're entrusting in you that hey yes he's my friend he's not going to go just you know sell me out and say he's going to be with me in really private instances That's right. and experiences and i'm going to trust him on my bus in hunting camp behind closed doors my private time my downtime that the cameras of the voice aren't there you know yes. the, the the miranda is is in my opinion and i say this to everybody i meet when she won album of the year three years ago i called it right after mm-hmm. traveler had won it the year before i said miranda's gonna she's my favorite all-time oh, female singer besides dolly she's great. I, yeah. I think her and dolly are, the, are amazing but 
you run with these people and you become friends. So there's something there and we don't need to go into it, but there's something that you have that solidifies that where people want to be around it. And then they want to go the extra step of wanting it again. Because a lot of these celebrities, they meet people and they're they're It's a revolving door. They're in and out. Right. They're at a red carpet event in LA and, and Blake's a perfect example of that he's not just Nashville anymore. He's not just Oklahoma anymore. He's Absolutely. celebrity. You know, he's running with Hollywood and he's with Gwen now. And so, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're meeting so many people and something about Michael Waddell. There was one episode where you're, you're doing a meet and greet with Blake at one of his concerts and, I think it was a joke y'all play where more of his fans wanted to get a picture with you. <laughs> remember that episode? I do remember that, So yeah. there, there's something there that you have that was, I don't know if mesmerizing is the right word, but people get caught up in the Michael Waddell mystique and they want to be a part of it. And that is why when you see what Edwin did, and I want to go into what Edwin did because I assume that your daddy with how y'all, how tight y'all are now, and you yeah. call him Diddy, Daddy, 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 yeah, Daddy. Edwin, <laughs> or Papa, yeah. Papa, when you see that relationship, and I, I, I told Jim Shockey this last week. He sat down with me and I talked. And I said, I, before his dad passed away in 2013, that's the only envy that I ever developed because I lost my dad at 50 mm-hmm. when he was 54, and he was my hunting buddy. Yeah. So when I see that on the Bone Collector show or on road trips or whatever it is, that's an unbelievable thing to have in your life so all of the the blake shelton's and the red carpets and the behind this you know the backstage passes and everything that you get to enjoy is based on what you learn from him i assume in the woods and respect oh, no in the woods so take me i want to go through this in in in, in the michael waddell mm-hmm. version how did the hunt start with edwin and i assume and i and i've heard rumors that you were in the right spot at the right time with real tree mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's the right way to say it no, but you got to tell me how this started because you literally went from like a t- competitive turkey caller to the biggest outdoor TV host and most like I'm not just I'm not saying this to blow your head up because you don't need it you don't you're not a cocky arrogant guy you just you're, you're famous so <laughs> like where how did it start in Little Booger Bottom Georgia where Edwin gets you in the blind and then all of a sudden you're the face of Realtree insane I mean completely not planned and and thanks for those comments and and i do i mean that was the biggest thing my dad probably instilled in me more than hunting was work hard you know and always be humble and respectful and uh and outside of the first story i probably told you about nashville that was probably where i about lost everything (laughs) but uh but yeah it's crazy i mean i grew up hunting and fishing and honestly i really thought everybody hunted and fished because of where i was from you know i was really in a rural area in georgia uh, you know, if you grow up where I did, everybody hunts and fishes. Everybody jacks up their truck and got mud grips, and you save your money for some buckshot mudders. And literally, you can pick up, you know, ladies with, you know, uh, a Boone's Farm wine and meat skins. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is, you know. And so, as I started in high school, just, you know, hunting deer and stuff, and then it got to the point to where I was, uh, you know, fell in love with turkey hunting, started competing in turkey hunting contests. And right away, man, I, I, um, I started doing pretty good and winning some contests. And about that same time, uh, my mother got sick with leukemia. She passed away when I was 16, so she was really young. So it became just me and my dad. And really, I, at that point, you know, everybody seems, you know, you got this crossroads in life. I could have went one way or the other, just went crazy and, you know, and got into the bad side of things or, or put myself in something positive. And I really put myself into uh, into hunting, but more specifically turkey calling and turkey hunting. And I remember just even on Saturday nights or Friday nights after football game, just sitting down, saying, man, I'm going to practice on my turkey calling for a couple hours. The next thing I know, look, it'll be 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I've been sitting there, you know, turkey, you know, calling or making calls and building turkey calls. And 
and getting to the point I was doing pretty good. And, and Ricky Joe Bishop, who was in the area, who was a really good turkey caller, we started competing a lot and started winning a lot of contests, won the Grand Nationals, won a world championship. And that's where I met Bill Jordan and David Blanton and all the guys at Realtree. And at the same time, I met all the crew from Mossy Oak and um, met Toxie, met Cuz, and just was mesmerized at all the how nice everybody was, you know, just to somebody like me who was just a – in my opinion, just old country bumpkin. You know, country's a chicken coop that had won some turkey calling contest. And I remember Toxie sent me some camouflage. Bill Jordan sent me some camouflage. And, man, I, was, I couldn't believe it. My dad and I are freaking out. And my dad's like, look, it's, this stuff a little, it's a little tight for me, but, uh, but I'm a, I mean, it's a, little, uh, it's a little small for me, but I'm going to wear it too. So I had enough camouflage for me and my dad, you know. And I remember as things started escalating, I remember uh, – Moss Hill and Realtree had mentioned me being on their hunting staff, like a little advisory staff, just a small level, not even what they call pro staff, just a little small level, you know, one free set of camo a year and wear it when you can, wear it when you're hunting, wear it when you're turkey calling on stage or whatever. And I remember, uh, like, to me, even though it was just tiny and small, you know, I thought it was the biggest deal in the world. I thought it was like going to be on the news stations, you know, man, Michael Waddell signs with Moss Hill and Realtree, and it was just a tiny little pro staff thing. And so I remember my dad told me, he said, boy, you ain't going to be able to wear both of these. And, um, and he said, you're going to have to – I remember, Dad, it was just one set of camo. He said, you're going to have to send one set of camo back. And I said, well, I mean, Dad, I don't, you reckon? I said, yeah. And I, and I said, I don't know what to do. And so I remember uh, talking to this outdoor writer that I knew, and she had made the comment. She said, well, West Point, Mississippi is about two and a half, three hours from you. Realtree's probably an hour from me. He said, you know, you ought to call Realtree and see if there's more things you could do with them because you're not too far, you know, from their headquarters. And, and sure enough, I did that. And so uh, I talked to uh, Cuz Strickland, and he said, yeah, we got some stuff in Rider Hunts. We'd love you come help guide. So quickly, I remember just picking up the phone call and taking that advice and just talking to him. Kind of was looking back. It was a business call. I didn't know it. But, again, what was blowing away, blown away is I had just won a few local contests and a couple big ones, but nothing – big but immediately how nice and respectful these industry people were you know Realtree and Moss Hill and anyway long story short I ended up remember talking to Cuz and said well maybe I should do something at Realtree just because it's close and he said I totally respect that he said and I said well I, I don't mind you know if I need to send these clothes back I said but I have worn them and he said Michael you can keep them and they were just so nice and looking back I, I was nothing to them but they treated me like somebody both Realtree and Moss Hill and so really from the standpoint, it was like the hardest decision in my life just to figure out who to accept a set of camouf- one set of camouflage. And sure enough, as that spring progressed, uh, I remember David Blanton called me and wanted me to come guide some outdoor riders. And one thing led to another. And, and uh, soon into that year, David asked me would I start running a video camera for him. I showed him I was working at this little archery pro shop setting up bows, and I started running a camera a little bit for Realtree and showed him some of the footage that I was me and my buddy was was shooting at the pro shop, hunting some deer and turkey and stuff, and and uh, and so I started doing that. And I never forget that when I went to guide, I I just assumed that, you know, you, I just took time off work and I'd go guide a little bit. And I remember David said, uh, "Hey man, I need your social security number." I was like, "Why, why you need my social security number?" He's like, "We're gonna pay you like a hundred dollars a day." And I'm like, "Oh no, y'all gonna pay me?" <laughs> like, "Yeah, your time is worth something." So I couldn't believe it. And um, one thing led to another. That later that fall david blanton offered me a full-time job at realtree just running the camera and i remember one of the things he said he said michael he said uh, we don't need any hunting personalities he said we need somebody that can run a camera that can guide that can help us with outdoor rider hunts and he said you know you, you're a good hunter and 
you could help us a lot. You could, we could send you with people. And at that time, Realtree was hunting with a lot of celebrities and stuff and country singers. And he said, you'd be a good guy to set up in the stand with to, to help walk somewhere along that maybe isn't the best hunters and, and just get some good footage and just help us. And at the time, I'm 20 years old. So I'm, I'm obviously not in college. Um, I, you know, I, di- I didn't go to college. And so I took the job, and it was $18,000 a year is what they paid me, salary. And man, I it didn't even matter. I You're was a millionaire now. Oh, I was a mil- I was a millionaire then, dude. I'm like, yeah. man, this is unbelievable. So, literally, never was any intentions of me being a hunting personality. And I worked so hard and had so much fun. David Blanton and Bill let me hunt in Texas that year. Later on Uh-oh, in January, this is where it all yeah. Started. And I got to shoot a deer. Actually, it was funny. They laughed. They said, "You can you can go shoot a deer." Well, I just completely had no restraint. I killed two really nice bucks with my bow. And I remember calling, like, I'm, I'm going to be fired. You know, I'm, I'm going to kill two deer. And, um, and so, anyway, I said, no, that's good. We needed some bow hunts. And they had they, this place they was hunting, they had leased, and they had a quota of bucks. It was Texas, you know. I think back then I didn't even know anything about it, but they had the probably the MLD tags, you know. And so, anyway, I killed two good bucks with my bow. And they put it on there. And, I, and, and, uh, and so, later, I think it never was a plan that, like, we're going to let this Waddell kid be a personality. I think what happened was – um, they were letting me hunt as a, as a thank you for, for hard work, like a bonus. Like, we can give this guy a raise, or we can just let him hunt a little bit and kill a turkey every once in a while. And I would, at that time, took the turkey or deer, which I did. And so, uh, but quickly, I remember that first year, you know, talking about the singers, um, Sammy Kershaw come hunting with us, and uh, we, we hunted with old Mark Chestnut. And oh. quickly, man, just become best friends with him. I'm just this young kid, you know. And so I just remember telling my dad how amazing everything was just to be on the road and meeting these heroes of mine like Larry Wysoon, Chuck Adams, the bow hunter. You know, just it was so cool. Bob Folkride. I mean, the names just go on and on. Anyway, as it progressed, uh, basically David sent me to school and I learned how to edit. That was when the, the nonlinear stuff, the digital stuff started hitting. And I learned how to edit a little bit. And then like within four years – they, they let me produce Realtree Outdoors on TNN. So I was editing the whole show and producing the whole show um, creatively and editing the whole show for Realtree Outdoors. So I had no you know experience in television, but, man, I was eat up with it. Now, the negative of that, nothing else mattered, man. I mean, I mean I was completely focused on one thing, and that was Realtree and just the, this hunting opportunity, not even to hunt, just to be working in the hunting industry. And so uh, – you know, and I remember forget as as I was getting a chance more to hunt a little bit. David Blanton come in and said, "Man, I want you to kind of do more on the turkey stuff." He said, "You know, you are, you come in as kind of one of our turkey pros." And so I used to give him more tips and get to go turkey hunt a little bit more. And I did the other things, and so I was, and that's when I finally saw a few people that was kind of like you know they would recognize me at a show and like, "Man, you're the guy at turkey hunts. Man, you you you're fun, man. I'd like to come turkey hunt with you. You seem like you'd be fun." So I remember those being the first compliments. And it was funny, never did somebody say, dude, you're the best hunter I ever saw. They always, and even to the day, they would say, man, I, I'd like to, I bet you'd be fun to go hunting with. And so I remember now, that's like the best compliment ever, is just somebody just want to kind of hang out with you, kind of getting back to some of these celebrities or whatever, or singers. And so uh, as that progressed and I got a chance to hunt a little bit more, I remember getting a chance to set in on some of the videos as kind of the producer and camera guy. And so, long story short, TNN went to ESPN because they changed their logo and it went to Spike TV and all that kind of deteriorated. And we went to ESPN and Outdoor Channel come along. And I'd always had this concept, and it goes back to those same singers and all those chestnuts. And remember having a chance to hang out with Hank Williams Jr. and 
you know, and Hank Jr. Lawaddell, Bull Cephas, he'd call every once in a while at office, and he would, they would, I never get dude. It freaked me out. Like they'd say, "Hey man, there's a guy on, you know, Hank Jr.'s on line three. and I'm like, "Hank Jr.? <laughs> there's no way." And looking, it would have like Hank Williams Jr. Enterprises to come across and from caller ID first come out and like, "Hello, Waddell, Bo Cephas." I'm like, "Jeez, I'm freaking out!" Like, "Oh my god!" You know, I'm all, all I can do not to be the dude off Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley. You know, I'm like, yeah. you "Remember that time?" You know? Yeah, remember that time. And um, so quickly, man, I'm just getting all these opportunities, and I remember. The, the one thing that probably set me on my way as a personality and having a chance to be part of some cool show was road trips because not just getting a chance to host it, but the one thing I found out, not just in these singers and these celebrities and professional ball players, football and baseball, I realized that everything was kind of buttoned up and scripted out. Not scripted out, but everybody knew when they was on camera and off camera, which is fair. I think that's always fair to let people know when you're recording now social media, I think you see a lot of these celebrities, they, they shy away from the public because you never know. They're one – I mean, can you imagine it's been social media back in Waylon Jennings and oh, it's over. Um, even Mel Tillis? Can you imagine the stuff that's been on, on camera that – I mean, now you have to be really buttoned up when you go out in the public. But I remember thinking I had this little high-eight camera. So we had these $60,000, $70,000 beta cams that I would run and our crew would be shooting, and we'd go do a show for TNN, whether it was with Sammy Kershaw – uh, Wade Boggs or, or some of the pre, uh, Chipper Jones. I remember he used to go hunting with us. And 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 after the the show was done, we'd sit around a campfire and start talking and have the solo cup and you know and be grilling like you're talking about grilling grilling out one night here. And um and I would video stuff. And I remember we writing songs. I remember Mark Chestnut be around. I tell him, man, I had a chance to meet Hank Jr. He's like, man, I met Hank a couple times. And then we get playing Hank Jr. song. And I'd bring a guitar and I'd start playing and. And I had all these videos. So when I'd come home from the road, I would show all my friends these videos and just tell them how cool Mark Chestnut was or tell them how cool Chipper Jones was, you know. And they're like, how was, what was it like? And I'm like, man, here's a video. And, and all of them would immediately fall in love with these. They already liked them, but now they'd really fall in love because they'd see the behind-the-scenes part of it. And of course, I would never video anything I wasn't supposed to be. But most of the time, we was goofing off having a blast. And I remember thinking that that should be a hunting show. That should be the hunting show. It would be like the road trips and the the behind the scenes. I mean, there's a lot of people that can successfully knock down an animal. And so I remember telling David Blanton, his outdoor channel come along, like, man, I, I got an idea for a show. And I pitched him the idea of the Real Tree Road Trips um, idea. And I said, I don't know who we get to host it, but if we shot it this way and kind of behind the scenes, I said, I got these high eight tapes, you know, when I just video my personal camera. And I said, and, these, to be honest, no offense, I mean, I'm helping produce these Real Tree Outdoor shows, but they're more entertaining than our shows that we sent to TNN. And it's just Mark Chestnut singing songs and telling stories about Tanya Tucker and throwing horseshoes and me and him going shoot some quail out there and trying to shoot a jackrabbit with a bow. It's it's just funny, you know. And and so David said, man, I think that'd be a good idea. And so uh, he said, well, why don't you just, we just do something on Outdoor Channel, why don't you host it? And I remember David Blanton come up with the name. He said, let's call it. I wanted to call it Real Tree Road Trip, and he said, "Let's just call it Real Tree Road Trips." And so David kind of said, "No, that's the name, Real Tree Road Trips." And I mean, didn't think it'd be that big a deal, and did it had no budget, and that's kind of where things. How old are you when you pitched this to Blanton? I was in my twenties. Um, so we're looking at twenty yeah. years ago. Twenty. When yeah. you come up with I was the in my twenties. I hadn't been at Real Tree too long. It was in two thousand one or two when I pitched him that idea, and so and you're we, still a full time employee. I'm still well. I still work and host their show. Um, I, I left as a full-time employee because I was getting these opportunities, and that was a whole nother story, you know, as far as the real tree. That was kind of 
kind of the good and bad of the corporate working full time because I remember I had all these opportunities. I remember at the time Realtree didn't know exactly how to handle it, nor did I. And I just like, man, I don't, you know, what do I do? I remember that was the first time I had companies calling or, or retailers like, man, we'll pay you, we'll pay you. I never forget I had somebody call me one time, and, and then back then I wasn't still wasn't making no money, but I was having a just so much fun. But I remember somebody calling me and said, dude, I'll give you six grand if you'll come hang out a day. So what happened the, like, what, what happened when the footage was seen, Waddell, of the deer hunt in Texas? When when Blanton said, hey, you go over there, it's yeah. okay, you killed two bucks. Was there like a moment where people were like, whoa, like, you know, look at this guy on camera. They used that footage on a TV show and that got out on TNN, that hunt yeah. in Texas. So that was really the beginning of the, the Michael Waddell on camera. On phase. camera, for sure. So that takes you to this position of getting all these opportunities. You said Sammy Kershaw, and I'm like, I could sit and listen to him Dude, he sing the, the phone book, man. He was the best. He's so awesome. He, he was the best. He could sing, man. And But, yeah, Chad, that's really what happened. And I think what helped me a little bit as a personality, completely unplanned, didn't know, I really didn't think I'd get a chance to do it again. So I wasn't trying to hunt and impress anybody. I was just kind of a game hog and wanting to kill something because I've been working so hard, and it was my one opportunity because, as you know, I'd – traded in my gun or my bow or my shotgun for the camera and and was producing and editing and guiding so a lot of times I would do something I'm like oh my god man Blanton's gonna kill me and I would say something and I'd look back like I shouldn't have said that and I shouldn't have shot that deer there I should have waited here so I was just make being very aggressive I was shooting deer at longer distances out of anxiety and just wanting to make sure like soon as I got a shot I'd kill him I was not the guy milking the footage but all of that quickly resonated, I think, because it was real. I didn't realize that, but that's exactly right. People saying, man, this Waddell kid is real. But I wasn't going for anything. But the reality of it was I was real because I was kind of being selfish and didn't think I was going to get to do it again. Where Bill Jordan was getting to hunt every time, I knew this was my shot. So, yeah, I mean, if you get in the ring with, you know, Conor McGregor, you know you're not a UFC fighter, so you're you're just sitting around looking for the haymaker. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're trying to survive and just knock him out if you can. And all I was trying to do is like I'm getting this chance. I'm I'm soon as I get a broadside. It reminds me of a story that took place like right across the street, and Ben's sitting in here. You know more about country music in Nashville than I do, but right here at the Palace, there was a band that was coming. I think it was a rainstorm or something. The lead singer couldn't didn't show up, and the the manager's getting stressed. Yeah. He's like, what are we going to do? We got all these people out here. And there's a dishwasher in the back and a busboy. Uh-huh. He says, hey, I, you know, I hear you out late at night. You come out here and you sing a little bit. You get up there and sing until the guy gets here. He gets up there and starts singing, and it's Randy Travis. Unreal. And it launched the career. of. And you can look that up. I know I, the details might not all be there, but the, David Blanton tells this kid to go out and kill a deer in Texas. It yeah. gets noticed. This guy comes out from washing dishes, and he's, he starts singing Forever and Ever Amen or something or 1982 before he went you know, and yeah. did what he did. But, you know, you, th- you think about it. There was a guy – Major League Baseball started at first base every game, and then he got sick or got hurt, and then Roger Maris or whoever went in, Lou Gehrig went in there and then never sat out for the, like, he got the Ironman Award until Cal Ripken beat it. So I'm looking at it like, these guys didn't have a plan for you. They're just sending you out there to fill a couple more tags and get a little bit more footage. Correct. And you capitalize on it in a way to where you didn't mean to become a personality. No. You were just being real. And, and when people saw that, that was like the real part of TV. Like that was the reality base. I don't even know if the Osbournes were on MTV at that time, <laughs> right. but that was showing like, well, this is That's the, correct. Yeah. this is real. This is the emotions. This is the goosebumps. This is what happens when, what, what buck fever really is, the anxiety that mm-hmm. a hunt can cause. And you start to show this off to the point to where now you are getting opportunities, not because Realtree is pushing you into them and saying, go do this. 
people are wanting to hunt with you. They're wanting to hang with you. They're recognizing you. And this is, this is where I was going 15 minutes ago about your age. This is when you're, tw- you're 46 now. 46. Yeah. You've been, you've been in this limelight now for 25, you know, over half your life. I can't, I mean, that's, that's crazy. like, you got to pinch yourself kind of stuff right there. Yeah. And I look at it like, this is where, this is what the way I look at it, Waddell is that that very easily could have went the other way to where they're like, Hey, just go get back behind the camera. Yeah. You know, you're, you're acting a fool. It's not, it's not the right fit. And look what happened to it to the point to where now tell, where does it go from here? Now you got, you go to, you go to, to air with road trips. And is that kind of where your celebrity really started because you're on TV every week now being the host of that? I, definitely Realtree Road Trips was the start of, of my opportunity that led to, to Bone Collector. And, and Bone Collector um, it, it was completely not even planned, but even how that started was alpha the success I'd had working at Realtree and those opportunities David Blanton and Bill Jordan had given me and really that whole Realtree family. And uh, it, it was crazy. And, and I was young, man. I went through a lot of crazy stuff in my life personally because I didn't know how to take a lot of that. I mean – I never got on drugs and alcohol. Um, I struck. I struggled, man. I, I, you know, I went through two divorces. Um, marriage, man. To, as you know, this life is tough on on relationships because it's very similar to like a country singer because you're gone all the time. And uh, and for me, I was young. And um, and when road wait a trips, minute, but but hold on. Yeah, you just said this life ain't for everybody pretty much that's right like, Same, it's like I, a podcast. I, I walked into tootsies 10 years not tootsies i'm sorry i walked into losers 10 12 years ago mm-hmm. my first nwtf and behind where the band sits in the pit you know i got that little pit down there yeah there's a sign that says this life ain't for everybody yeah and i looked at that and i took a picture of it and i still have the picture on my cloud and i said i'm gonna trademark that name so i did it's such a cool so i, I did it. i trademarked it and took this life ain't for everybody and where you're going now, you just open up a door because I yeah. did the same thing. I was married. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm on a boat with Bobby. I hate name dropping Bobby Ritchie. And then I was doing this with another guy. And I was like, yeah. I am a subpar at best duck hunter from Nevada that's not known for ducks, but known for sheep and mule deer, antelope. And all of a sudden, I'm getting these opportunities because of why? What is going on here? And then it wouldn't stop. And almost got to the point to where when I would go home, I would be like, whoa, this is boring. I need to be out on the road. And then you get out on the road and you're like, whoa, this is lonely. I need to get back. And there was like this balance. And then there's like these head games you play with yourself. And the next thing you know, you make a mistake. Oh, yeah. And that in that this life, people look at it and they're like, man, Waddell's got the best thing. It's to hunt wherever he wants. There's a lot of pressures with it. Oh. It's not a pity party. No. I'm not trying to make it one. But you are on to something here because – this life ain't for everybody to it's get not. to where you got. It's not easy. And you went through a lot of emotional distress, a lot of stuff that could have easily tore you down. It could and, have. And, you, and instead you elevate yourself. And I'm sure that there's way more to the story. But when you talk about being, a, being married right, and making mistakes and losing that, that's enough to knock anybody down. And mm-hmm. then when you've got to pick yourself back up and then this life and this industry. And I, I always talk about this is the therapy is in the tree stand. The rest yes. of it's hard. The rest of it's almost like, man, I don't know if I can keep up. I don't know if I could go into another sporting goods store. I don't know if I could open another box of product. You start to take it for granted. Then you got to check yourself at the door like, whoa, I got to remember that kid that got a pair of some camo from Toxie and cuz and some camo from Blanton and bill. And then all of a sudden you got to shake yourself and like, get back to it. That's what I need to find. And yeah. that's what I struggle with. Michael is like, I got to find that. I, I, yeah. I, I find solidarity and, and solitus in 
the duck blind. When I'm there, I don't think about that shit. And then I get That's out right. of it and I'm like, oh my God, I got all this stuff coming at me and I'm nowhere near your level. And I can't imagine what was going on when you're 25 when this, I'm, you know, I was 35 when it started happening right. to me. Well, I mean, you hit on something, Chad. And a lot of times I've always thought a lot of times in the hunting industry, it, everything becomes lukewarm, even a lot of the podcast out there. So, I mean, I'm glad you're bringing up some of these subjects because most of the time, even, you know, a lot of stuff I do, it doesn't get talked about. And a lot of people think they know me and they do know me when it comes to hunting my passion and and probably the, the the way we have fun you know you meet at these shows but a lot of people you know man going through the divorces going through the stuff but keep in mind too like you said no different than some of these these singers and these artists that we're talking about in my mind i thought i was immune to any of that i knew to stay humble i realized that i was getting this opportunity to be this uh this hunting personality and getting some notoriety from it and i never forget the first time ever, it was here at the National Wild Turkey Federation. I I never get because we'd have artists that would come by the real tree booth just to say, "Hey, from Ronnie Dunn, Hank Jr. I remember Troy Gentry always come by. Craig Morgan, those guys are really, you know, up and coming and killing it. Of course, Ronnie Dunn, they'd been around forever. So from time to time, you'd go by one of the booths here, and they'd just be these long lines, and, or, or they'd be. You could tell something was going on, and it would be usually a country music artist there and. They wouldn't be there doing a meet and greet. They'd just be saying, hey, and maybe picking up a hat. And, and they'd just be this, you know, almost like CMA Fan Fest. It'd be this crowd would follow them and just taking pictures, almost like the paparazzi. So I never get. I walked into the end of uh, here after road trips there, and there was a, a, a huge gathering of people. It was just all these people uh, around. And I remember easing around the back of the booth, and I said, Blanton, I said, uh, Who's here? Is there waiting artists on here? You. Yeah, and he said, Michael, they're waiting on you. <laughs> and it was like the first year road trip had aired. I'm that like, just gave you me kid me. And I never forget. There was like 200 people, and they had first time ever. They went and got the them little stance and them little velvet ropes, and was trying to. And I was freaking out, like didn't know what to do. Well, here I am, this 20 year old kid. Like all I was doing was trying to shoot a turkey and having fun and telling a few jokes and. I was blown away and humbled, and and it's funny because every time something's happened to me, to where it's it's brought more notoriety or or more success, rather than for me to be arrogant about it, it's actually made me more humble. Humble, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It, it, you know, you you can take it one way or the other, and it was one of the artists that told me one time, it's like, man, people are not just celebrityism don't make somebody an asshole. They were an asshole already, and being a celebrity gave them the opportunity to be their true roots, and I believe that statement. For real. And, um, and so I just become like, oh, my, I was freaking out. But what come with that was, you're right, I'm on the road, probably committed, spending too much time. Well, guess who's in that line the first time ever? Here I am, this 20-something-year-old kid doing this hunting show. About every other person in line was some beautiful little old country girl you know with hotel room keys and just you can name i mean it was crazy so nobody ever talks about that in the hunting industry no, no i didn't know how to handle it i mean it how was i was like to felt like a like a redneck kid rock you well, know or something stupid and i'm like i, I didn't know but, how to handle it and you, whatever happened but, I wasn't but you home, can't I'm, say waddell yeah. but you cannot say that you weren't no yeah. you really were it, didn't it, know how to handle in it. the hunting yeah. crowd you really were a rock star. And that's what I was trying to get out of telling you in Vegas last month is that you handled it the way that you did. And look where you're at at 46 years old. You're oh. still blessing people with great content. But more importantly, you got your kids involved. You're a family man. You're a man yeah. of God. Your wife loves you. You got another yeah. chance to have love. And, no and you got your daddy with you. And you're still spreading that word, the good word, all the time about hunting in this lifestyle. So you can't sit here and tell me, 
you know, it was almost like I was a redneck kid rock. You were. This is what, when you walk into that and you're looking at it, like I would walk around and I would set up the most elaborate, badass booth, in my opinion, at NWTF. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd have construct, at the time I owned a portable toilet company. That was the mm-hmm. first company. And I would go to my contractor, but I'd say, man, I got this idea for this booth, this log cabin. I'd get it here. There'd be no circulation. It'd be hotter than hell. And so, <laughs> and I, but I'd walk around and I'd go, I would hear the guy announce Michael Waddell signing and I'd see this line start to form and I'd be like, Good freaking night. Oh, and, and, crazy. And, and, and well-deserved. But the point is, is that nobody can handle that. When they go from Booger Bottom, I'd have 200 people in it. And now you got a line of 700 people. Every other one's a cute country girl. Nobody in their right mind can handle that. They yeah. can sit there and say, oh, yeah, I can. But until you leave your home five days a week for six months a year, and, yeah. you're, and, you're, afford- and you're presented with these opportunities being thrown at you, I'm not. I'm not going to make excuses for you. I'm just saying nobody can handle I, and it. And I don't. I mean, I, a lot of what I did was completely wrong, but I wasn't. And so it's it's very similar. And I do think you know we was talking about some of these singers. I think there was a common ground that there was some conversations um, that we had with a lot of the artists. And I was like, you know, they would talk about their struggles. I said, man, I know y'all might not believe that, but I'm struggling with the same things. For me, it was never drugs and alcohol. I, I never to this day have, have even smoked weed. I, I'll have a beer. I'll have a little crown drink every once in a while, but I, I'm not a partier. I'm, I'm a campfire guy. I play a guitar and we'll have a drink. And, you know, if you do what we do for a living, it ain't for everybody. You, you, you don't party all night, especially if you do it all fall. You do the first night. <laughs> the first night. You get your foot cut, caught in a fun wheel. But, yeah. but you know, you, you might stay up a little bit, but you, you do get in the bed at a decent hour because after trip after trip, you Can't do get handle. tired. And even though you're not digging ditches, you know, hunting and chasing animals, and, and even though a lot of people think we do everything in high fence, everything we do is fair chase. So, you know, it's five to ten days out there on the road, not looking for a pity party. We love it, but you do have to pace yourself. You do have well, to you got, get, you, yeah. All of that stuff will add up and and destroy what's most important focus yeah. if you don't have focus in a tree stand you're falling out of it and you're dying you're That's shooting right. a deer too far back and you're wounding it and you're crippling it and then you feel like an a-hole yeah there's all everybody's like oh you could anybody could shoot a duck where you're at and i'm like i know that that's just the 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 part that you see that's right and that you're really concentrating on is that we're shooting ducks in a place to where a monkey could kill them which a duck's got a brain as big as an oh. m&m it's not like they're the smartest animal in the world yeah. that's why i've always stressed that hey this is the common denominator this hunting brings all these walks of life yeah. that we get to enjoy from a soldier to a janitor to a celebrity to an athlete and then it's it's what you say it's like how is that going to affect you and where is that going to go so what you're saying is we try to go to bed at a decent hour yeah but when all of these opportunities are thrown at you almost get the disease that's like i'm missing something there's a word for that feel like what is it fomo fear of missing out yeah and that's what hunters do because there's so much camaraderie and so much culture Mm -hmm. in duck camp or deer camp you don't don't nobody can sit here and tell me man if i was in that guy's shoes i wouldn't have made that mistake oh, it's crazy to think that i, I would have said that about myself i mean there's things your daddy like, would have said it too. i'm sure Edwin yeah. price sat you down and went wait a minute this yeah, is what well, happened yeah. exactly what do you think it, it was crazy and not only that and it's funny because again i'm glad you're bringing up some of this because nobody really ever has talked to me a lot of people there is a mystique you know about the personal side that people want to know well man how did waddell survive all this and you know, there's personal situations and things out there. But it's just that. At the end of the day, man, I am, man, man, I've always loved good Lord. I've always believed in Jesus Christ. But I always was that country boy, too, that, you know, we rode around dirt roads and drank us a Bud Light or, or, or Miller Light, and we went to church every Sunday. You know, we, we, we sat down, and I remember, you know, my uncle having a glass of whiskey, but we said to bless him before we ate. So if you grow up in the Bible Belt, that's the way it is. You know, the drive-in 
they had the, the it's funny we used to cut up you had the liquor store and the beer store and they had a drive-through and that was just for the baptist where they could get their you know 12 pack you know and if you grow up in our neck of the woods he's laughing because you grew up right where we all grew up in the same area but at the same time i i, I was a true down-to-earth country boy that didn't know about this side i i even after i meet some of these guys and i remember going on some of these buses and like wow this is crazy but then all of a sudden I wake up and I'm shaking my head like, wait a minute, I don't have a Prevo, but this has happened to me at the Holiday Inn. I mean, I'm in the Holiday Inn parking lot and you get a crowd out there and it's like, there was so much. And then on top of that, Chad, another thing I wasn't ready for is when I broke out on my own, there was money and opportunity started coming. In my mind, I really, honest to God, I always thought if I could make $50,000 a year, however I made it, I'm a rich man if I did this for a living. Um, that's just the way I felt. But when I went out on my own, I started getting some contracts. Immediately, I saw a lot of things in my life change too. So I had the temptation part of, to be honest, it was the the, the ladies. Um, that know. was hard. And then all of a sudden, there was money come. And when when money comes, there's always other people that come, uh, leeches, whatever you want to say, people that manipulate and take advantage. And you know, I, and I had all of that. And so next thing you know, I thought you know, it's just, just almost like a dead gun, one of these rapper stories, you know. And so. I, I had so much took from me or stole from me. I didn't know business. I didn't know anything about business. All I knew is if somebody asked me to do something, you did the best you could for him. I was kind of like evil Knievel. I was just doing the best on my attempt. I might have missed a ramp, but what, I did the best what, what, I could. I was watching from the outside, and there was no bi- yeah. there was no autobiography or book I could go rent, buy, or check out at a library to read, like, what's Michael Waddell going through? But I was watching from the outside, you know, because yeah. I'd see at some events, and and I was seeing, like, this, this all of this take place. And that's yeah. where I really was wanted, I really wanted to get into some of this, is, like, I saw you getting taken advantage of when, oh, like... Oh, no doubt. And I was watching it, and I was, I, I, I felt like I was a businessman, just like you did. Well, you and were. I, and you, I was, like, were, but yeah. I was going through some of the same stuff of, like... What's going on? Look at what, he's going, he's on a private jet. Wait, what? What is he doing? I know. And I was watching all of it go down. And then I met one of these guys yeah. that, that you were running with. And I was like, he just tried to do to me within 30 seconds of meeting me yep. what I felt like was going on in your life. And I Absolutely. could be way wrong. I might be wrong. I don't know if you know where I'm going no, with this. No, I know where you're going. And exactly. You start realizing that these jet rides that you jump on that you think are being gracious, that you're the one paying for the jet ride. Yep. And and that was the kind of stuff that I had been took advantage of a lot. And um. And I had that happen time after time. and uh, But a lot of times I was so tough on myself because of some of the decisions I made. Like, man, man, I deserve some of this stuff. And I never was financially driven. I've always been principle driven and, you know, to where I want to make a difference. And so if I was going to do a hunting show, I want to do something that was entertaining, that sold hunting license, that that helped the people that was believing in me, those partners, those those uh, sponsors, however you want to. I always call them partners, not sponsors. But um. I never was financially driven, but I realized that, you know, in the Bible it says the money is the root of all evil. I quickly realized that that was very well said because money drives people to do things that are completely evil. But it didn't drive. That's not no, what drove you, though. it was not what drove me. No. And and it probably was only to the last couple of years that I've really started paying attention and tracking not I, the I would, money, I would but get, where I was I'd being be manipulated. I'd guess you'd be a lot more financially well off and i don't oh yeah I, i'm not only i don't care where you're at there i know that you make a good living but i bet you you'd be worth a lot more no, money no if doubt. you'd have been not so trusting no doubt because you're this 100%. country bumpkin from booger bottom that's yeah. just like oh that's gonna happen next thing you know yeah bam. and what happens is too you know keep in mind if you track personal stuff 
when we go through personal stuff that you get knocked down, that's when you think, uh, you know, people will come in and that's where they, hey, man, let me help you get this cancer out of your life. Let me do this. Man, you oh, can yeah. trust me. Oh, yeah. I know you're going through a hard time. Because you want, need to focus yeah. on your family. I hand, I'll handle this business stuff for you. Oh, I'll yeah. take care of it. And so if somebody gets that trust in you, you want to trust that because you know you need work to do at a personal level. And if you are like us, you're not worried about money. You're not worried about the professional part of it because those are the times you say, you know what, I got a boy at home. I need to make sure – I'm in his t-ball game, and I got a kid. I need to make sure I go to, you know, my daughter's dance recital. And you start paying attention to that, which we all should first. But if you do and live the life like you say, it ain't for everybody. Next thing you know, you are, you are more focused on your career, not necessarily chasing the money. So those times that business people can come in and say, "Hey, I'll take the business. Go take care of your family." Well, by the time you start taking care of your family, they certainly take care of the business. Next thing you know, you ain't got enough money to take care of your family. Yeah, and so it beca- it's unbelievable. And so that's the part of it that I think that for me, as as just a, if I want to call myself a redneck hunter, you know that that I've seen at a small scale. It, it certainly wasn't like the NWA story, but it's a small version of that for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, it, it, no doubt. I mean, anytime you break over to where there's millions of dollars, there's somebody that's going to come did you and recognize get, Did you get a Rolex call from, like Tiger Woods did, said, hey, Tiger, we can't no longer be a partner with you. Remember when this yeah. went down on Thanksgiving, yeah. I looked at my brother and I said, he didn't get in a car wreck. Mm-hmm. I could tell because there's, there's no way that that happened with a little fender bender. And then all the news come out. Yeah. Tiger got doing this. Tiger got yeah. doing that. I mean, did you get one of those phone calls? And, went, and, my, and the yeah. other part of the question is, Waddell, is when somebody is as rooted as the real tree family is, mm-hmm. right there in the Bible Belt in Georgia, yep. family, f- family, friends in the outdoors, mm-hmm. the Lord above, yep. what does somebody like Mr. Jordan, Bill Jordan, say when he finds out that Michael yeah. Waddell, his poster child, yeah is running around making these mistakes that you're making. Yeah. Does he sit you down and say, if it happens again, you're gone? Or are you getting second chances given to you because you are Michael Waddell, the celebrity? Or are you getting these phone calls of saying, hey, we can't, our brand can no longer line up with you're yours? Right. Or, did you get any of this? I had one company that just outright immediately um, dropped me. When I went through my second divorce, they just completely said, we're, you know, we're, we're not working with you. We don't believe in you no more, your actions. Um, the NWTF, I was the national spokesperson here um, when everything went down in my second divorce. And, and I remember uh, I had to sit down and, and address the whole board. They were just wanting to hear from me. And uh, that was probably one of the most touching meetings I'd ever been in and most nerve-wracking because people ask me, like, I've had a chance to emcee some cool stuff. And even working with some of the artists and doing CMA, I had a chance. They didn't even know I was a hunter, but they just, you know, they'd say, hey, can you come host our thing? You know, we hear you're a hunter, but you're good with a microphone and good with people. Why don't you just get up there and just help us emcee this or, you know, like a little, you know, country music, ATV ride or whatever. So I was working, doing some stuff and I had, I never, ever have gotten nervous, you know, hosting or emceeing ever, not even a little bit, even in a crowd, whether it was city slickers or country folks, I've never been intimidated by that. But man, I had to get up and address the NWTF board. Uh, and I was nervous because, and I've realized one thing about making mistakes uh, the best thing you can do is just own up to them. So th- there's no excuse. Uh, definitely some of the stuff we're talking about, some of the money, some of the neglect, and some of the frustrations I was going through led to some of my, my actions. But I realized you cannot become a victim of it. And just because somebody 
there's a lot of ways to be disloyal. And just because you've been been disloyal too doesn't mean you go out and, and repay in the same way. And so I learned a lot about myself there. And actually all of that made me a better person. But I remember sitting there at the NWTF board and just saying, spilling my guts out and say, I'm not even worthy of being here. This was me. These are my actions. This is exactly what I did. And I'm here as a man to, uh, uh, you know, to tell you how I feel about it and um, not even trying to ask for your approval or your, you know, to get, you know, to have your stone come off my head. I said, I'm, I'm the one telling you what everything that happened. I was wrong. You know, there are some situations out there, but I'm not here to tell you about that. And just I'm owning up to where, you know, I, I didn't do what was right in some, in a lot of these cases. And, um, and man, I'll never forget, there was two or three people, grown men on the board, and most of those people on the board are successful business guys and CEOs of other companies, and they volunteer their time here at the NWTF. And some of them were crying. And, every, and man, I had almost everyone come up and hug my neck, and they was like, because I felt like nobody had ever done some of the stuff I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you feel like Kid Rock did. You feel like even some of your country music singers, they tell you, but I'm not Hank Jr. Man, I'm just Waddell, you know. I, okay, Hank, Hank, he got whiskey bent and hell bound, but I ain't supposed to. And and what I realized is there was more people that that has been through a lot of stuff that they've been in situations and uh, and quickly man it just it, it, it slowly got better and but I would say overall no I never got that ridicule in the industry there was a lot of people you know on the internet to say stuff or, or a lot of it they didn't even know any of the facts they which just, is which will no yeah. matter no matter if people like to admit it or not as tough as country boys you are oh yeah this stuff's going to affect you so now you're getting this added pressure on you of like i'm speaking from the board i'm spilling my guts i got internet guys that yeah. have keyboard muscle that hear a rumor and they're going to say what they feel about what i've done this is all added pressure that on top of that, you got to turn on when the cameras are on, you mm-hmm. got to make the shot and you, you, I, that's why I keep referring to it is that I don't think, and I really mean this and with the way that our industry has gone, mm-hmm. I don't see it ever happening again. Right. I don't see, and I don't think it's ever happened again in our industry. Now there are famous hunters and I'm not saying that Lee and Tiffany don't draw a line in Harrisburg. They're awesome. Right. I love what they do, but i promise you that to this capacity. And that's why I said that that last part of that relationship with the Blakes and all these celebrities, and there's a lot of them and I ain't going to, cause I don't want to name drop on your, on your network. That, that part about getting that number and becoming friends that's when all of this stuff starts to come in because those opportunities that you start to get yeah. are just, they just keep coming at you and they just keep firing away. Like Chris Stapleton says, keep firing away, keep, firing keep hurting away. away, keep that's trying right. to hurt me, keep trying to keep me down, keep trying to put me away. And that's what this internet people are saying. And now you got this company that leaves you. Now you're in front of the board at the NWTF. I'm still wondering what somebody like Bill says, because Bill is almost like a father figure to you. Yeah. In my opinion, he's been there for a long time in your, in your, in your, Teenage years and then all of your adult life. Yeah. Is he disappointed? Is he upset? I, I think he was. Uh, Bill was definitely disappointed. And there was definitely some people at Realtree that wanted just me to be away from Realtree. Uh, a lot of people at Realtree wouldn't admit that, but there was conversations, you know, that I knew that happened. It's like, hey, we, we ain't going to do nothing with Waddell. We need to stay away from him. Um, you know, and, and but Bill never did. Um, Bill is definitely a very unconfrontational guy. But he's a good guy. And he's got a good heart, and I do think Bill Jordan kind of loved me like a son because he saw me. I mean, I ate my first appetizer with the guy. He he bought me my first beer. Like I remember in South Dakota when I turned twenty one. You know, so so a lot of things I did share with Bill, like a father, first times. You know, in situations and being on an airplane, first time I flew on an airplane was Bill Jordan going to Florida. I mean, I was scared, and so I really was legitimately 
the kid from Booger Bottom. And I get that a lot. Oh man, that's just to get up. That's this and that. And and it's it's not. You know, you just that's the way I come up. And and so Bill for sure, he definitely approached it a lot like my dad. You know, he said, Hey, you know, you you just gotta realize I know you're a good person, Michael. And and I know, I think what helped with Bill too is he knew everything I'd been going through. He he knew everything so he he was like a father so he knew the good and bad of where i was at and i think a lot of my close friends knew and so um it, it, it was crazy roller coaster ride through that process but um but bill always was really solid and always there never ever made me feel like you know i didn't have his support not just him as a person but just real tree but no doubt for me it was more that bill kind of made me feel like he had my back as Bill Jordan, not necessarily Realtree. So the Realtree thing didn't mean as much to me as Bill's uh, just being there for me in that capacity. And I know that Bill was. And I think most of my friends were. And to be honest with you, most of the true, at that time, Michael Waddell fans were because I started realizing I just thought I was on this. You know, I think that's part of a frustration a lot of people go through. And a lot of people go through these tough times. They don't realize that other people go through the same things. And I just thought that I'd, just, I'd majorly disappointed myself. And So is this where know. the story started at the beginning of the night when you told the kick in the cones? Was yes. This, that, it was, I was in that process of so that went, right there. This just went from you telling me yeah. the story to where now we're figuring out why you yeah. were drinking the crown on the yeah, rock. Exactly. I was ready to fight. I was ready to fight. So, I was, but don't yeah. – but, how do you handle that now as a father, Michael? What do yeah. you tell your boy when he's sitting in that chair right yeah. there? And he knows, he's got to yeah. know this stuff. You're, oh, you haven't does. hidden it. You're transparent. What do you tell him? Don't be that guy? I tell every one of my kids. I got five kids, and, and I've never, at this point in my life, I've never been this happy. My, my wife, Christy, has just been amazing. I've got a three-year-old boy, and he's running around here. He was down here when you text and said, let's do this this podcast, he was down there with a hammer beating the fire out of the booth thinking he was helping trying to unpack boxes with his papa and his mom. I've never been this happy with my crew, my relationship with Nick and T-Bone, my whole you know, production crew. We're a very small team. I've never been this happy. I've never been this in, in love. I, I've never been in this place in my life. And so now with all my kids, I've learned. I tell every one of my kids, like, look, never pay attention as much to what you think I might have done right. If we want to learn, let's talk about what I've done wrong and never make these mistakes. And I said, I know that gets boring. That seems like every elder wants to tell you what you shouldn't do or what you shouldn't eat. And you shouldn't need to, you know, have a cup of coffee before you go to bed. And you're too young for coffee. They want to tell you what you shouldn't do. I said, but pay attention to the mistakes I made, you know, and, and, and I've, they know everything about it. I never hid anything from them. And I've learned that they probably respect me more for the stuff I've screwed up on and owned up to them. And especially Mason, my oldest boy who's in college, just been an amazing kid who actually got a full-ride scholarship to fish in college. Um, we talk about it all the time, and, 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 and every time he'll get to a place in his life, and I'll say, Mason, don't do that. Try your best. You know, Use your willpower and don't cross that road because I'm telling you, I did. I'm not telling you it ain't going to be fun, but don't cross these roads because if you do – there's a chance that you can lose everything, and there's a chance that you just won't come back. And I said, I promise you, your daddy did. And, 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 and so I think a lot of times it's hard to be honest. It's almost like giving you testimony, uh, you know, in church. You, you almost you, you got to. And for me, man, I, I can tell you, you get down on your knees and pray, and you, you're never going to be perfect. You never are going to ever get to that level. Nobody has. And so I think it's that's what I've always told my kids. It's like learn from what I've done wrong, and uh, I think you can improve on what you can do in life. 
more on where I've made mistakes and what I've done right, you know. When you're in the tree stand during this time and you're the Waddell that the country knows, there's that one look. It's that stick him, camera over the shoulder, you look up and you do the Waddell. Yeah. The 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 smile and the fist pump and the the, the what made you who you are in my opinion. That's yeah. what that's what really made people want to go to camp with you is that personality and that attitude, that fun haver. Was it fake at this time in your life? Were you faking it when you were in the yeah. woods? Did you get so down that you had to fake it for camera? No. Matter of fact, that was probably my saving grace. Once again, I can say the same thing I preached, that hunting, turkey hunting, being with friends and family, being on the trip where, you know, you do have that grill going and you got a good piece of meat on there and, you know, somebody brought some good tater salad over and, and a friend and a conversation and somebody that's going through a tough time and then also those who know how to bring the party to a place and, and the excitement of a turkey coming in, spitting and drumming or ducks locked into the decoys and you know, you're about to get to cut them down. That is what saved me. So in the, in the end, even then through my toughest personal struggles, I can hand on the Bible, say the hunting part of it pulled me through the deepest. That was my Prozac. That was my anti uh, depression medicine because that is what did it. And that was really one of the last things I would say my kids, my relationship with, with my wife now, in that hunt, and it still does. I can be in the low, even all the financial stuff and the, these people, you know, business-wise, that was where I could escape. And when I finally had that deer at 50 yards and I could range him and think, man, I think I can slide it right through that limb and I'd shoot him. That moment when that came together was just gave me the joy and excitement and kind of the connection back to even to the good Lord to know that, man, this is this is awesome. I, I can't believe how blessed I am. And this still is what, doing it. that's still, still doing it. So I've never had to come close to faking that part of it. Indeed, there's some of the times that I got even more emotional probably um, when I was going through the toughest times in my life. And, you know, you see that all the time. You see it on Outdoor Channel and Sportsman. You'll see somebody shoot a deer, and they'll start crying. You think, man, why is this guy crying? It was just a, I mean, it's a good buck. But maybe you find out later he, he lost his mom the week before, yeah. you know, or, or maybe he was going through a divorce. Or you never know. You you never know what somebody's going through. And I think that is what's underestimated about a good hunt. And uh, I know for me, even what I was betraying in the happy parts of my life, I was still happy hunting. Even when I was in a place in my life where I wasn't the happiest, hunting is what made me the happiest. And so uh, that that's a true story for sure. So have you, at, at this time now in your life at 46 years old, have you forgiven yourself 100% for the mistakes you've made? <clears throat> yes. You know, in one way, yes and, and no. Um, I, I think I've forgiven myself to know that, that I'm human and you make mistakes. But, but I think I just remind myself um, to, to where I will never go again. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like you, you know not just from the business side of things, but – you know, whether it is a, a, a pretty young lady to stand in line to meet you, and I mean, it, 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 you never know. You just you just kind of you, you just walk away from it. So you you remember those times, so you can never ever cross it again. And so um, I, I have forgiven myself, and now I'm at the point in my life to where I'm really just convicted just to tell my story. Um, the, the people who come to to say hey and get autographed or to hear a hunting story or to show me a trail cam picture, you know, of a deer. I just want to give them that and tell and, and let them know that who they're talking to is real. I'm not trying to impress them with some cool story of being this best professional hunter, but I will be real and I will tell the story. And if they want to know the truth, I'll tell them the truth. I'm not hiding. There's nothing I've hid from my kids. There's nothing hide from my friend. There's nothing I've hid from the good Lord. You can't hide from the good Lord. No. So 
it doesn't matter whether you have a cold beer later tonight. And I promise if I get a chance to meet old Brent Cobb, I'm going to have me a cold beer with my wife and y'all, and I'm going to be fanboy and high-fiving, telling about him singing every word of the song. And so there's no perfection. That you just you just realize that you just, all you can be is who you are. And, and as your slogan says, this life ain't for everybody. It is something that's envied by a lot, and, and, uh, and I have been just so blessed to do it. And I think that's part of the whole story, where it's not just about the turkey you shoot, the deer you shoot, or the shows you had a chance to hunt. I think now that's where I've come to, at peace is this is kind of my story. And uh, even though I know a lot of people are like, what in the world is what he'll talk about? They didn't go into any details. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's been an unbelievable life, unbelievable career. And even through where I was. Well, if they can't read between the lines yeah. of the country girl in the hotel room, he's <laughs> in, the, in the line. I mean, there, it's, it's, we don't need to go into details. We don't, that's what, not why I'm yeah. doing it. I just knew that there was something that we shared in common of, of the word karma, I yeah. think has gotten me before. It might've gotten you. Don't yeah. know. I don't know if one of your decisions caused something else to maybe make you wake up <clears throat> and, and finally maybe start to mature. Like people tell me, like, it's good to see that you're maturing when you're 40. Right. And I think that's a big deal because I easily could go into my sixties and not be mature. And I think that I've learned a lot and I learn a lot by taking validation in the fact that I have forgiven myself for the mistakes I've made. Right. Um, there's there's things that are out of our control and where people may, might judge you that's not fair based on those mistakes. And there's also times and instances in my life to where things have been cut out of my life because of the, this lifestyle, because, uh, you know, people have wanted a piece of it and people have become envious of it or people have become jealous of it. And then the next thing you know, I look, I turn around and they're trying to pull some strings behind my back. Yeah. And that is give it, it's like built this skin, like this gator skin on me to where now I've almost got this wall built up, Michael, to where, man, I don't know if I could trust somebody. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I could trust. I don't know if I really want to try this with somebody and I'm really protective of things. Yes. And I'm, I, and, I'm and, I'm, and I, sure. I bet you've gotten to be that way to where karma might've gotten you, but it's taught you yes. to mature. And I'll, and I want you to talk about, that skin, but Brent Cobb told me something in the podcast when I sat down with him and he said this, he says, Chad, people are afraid to be lonely. People are afraid to be sad. People are afraid to even be depressed. He goes, why? He goes, I love being lonely. Right. I love being sad. It's part of life. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I take it on. We, we sit in a dark room and we turn these phones on and we go onto our Instagram and we think we got all the friends in the world what yep. comments, what likes, yep. all this stuff. He goes, that shit ain't real. He said, yep. you got to wake up in the morning and understand that you're alone in that bed for a reason. Yes. And I went, holy shit. Like, it, that is so, like, it, it makes my skin crawl thinking about when Brent Cobb and his ponytail sat across a table this big that we're sitting at and said that to my eyes. I went, oh, my gosh. That's Augustus McRae ph- philosophical it's, thoughts right there. And it it's was, true, and it's true. And I, he's 100%. like, and it's like this little feel-good machine, Chad, that you turn on, and the foul life's growing, and this guy yeah. thinks that you're the shit. And I'm like, God, man, how yeah. smart a statement was that that this dude from Georgia that's high school educated yeah. just enlightened me to the point where I'm just going to keep growing as a person. I want to get there with that mindset. And that ideal and that ideology, I want to get to where Brent Cobb is. And he's he's it, 10 years younger than me. He's unbelievable. And that's what I, you know, I could go on talking about Brent. If you listen to his words, he's way older than his age. But um, I think that's it. But what he said is something that really hits home. And I know I know we're running short on time. No, you're but, fine. But I will say this for sure, that loneliness and those bad places, if you think about it, 
that's where some of the best arts come. Like, like Hank, who don't like Bo Cephas? I mean, OD'd in Denver and can't remember a name and, you know, Whiskey Bent and Hellbound. I mean, if you think about it, those are lonely times in his life. And even that one, uh, Here I Am Falling Again, all those songs, some of Brent's best stuff, you can tell he was depressed when he wrote it. He was lonely. I think, too, that's the place as an artist, too, and even me as just a television host, some of my best work is when I was in the probably the lowest point because, to be honest with you, I didn't care. I was just – I remember going to um, places hunting and having zero fear, going on a brown bear hunt and, like, I ain't going to shoot him at 50. I, I'm going to try to pet him. Like, well, he might kill you. Like, well, <laughs> worst I can do is die. I ain't scared. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, you get to this point to where you just push it. And another thing about loneliness, too, I've learned, you know, when, you, when you're every, – no, everybody wants to be at the top, and they always hate to be at the bottom. But I tell you what I've learned, and this is never talked about much, and, and you might have some experience. So I'd reverse the interview and even ask you about this, Chad. So I've seen your career. You know, I remember meeting you the first time and said, hey, what else? Dude, you know, fan, check this out. And I remember saying, dude, that's good stuff. I remember literally getting – There was two people I remember specifically watching their stuff. And I've watched hundreds of, of sizzle reels and tapes, and, you know, everybody's got a hunting show. There's two people I remember. I remember watching yours, and I remember watching Kip Campbell's. And so there's a part of me that feels like this Randy Jackson, like, all right, I knew these two guys were going to have their, their stuff was going to make it. And, and Kip's doing well. You're doing well. This was way before. This is pre-banded, you know. This is pre-all this stuff. And so uh, I, I remember in that time in my life, you know, at that point you're trying to figure out how to make it, and you're kind of there, and you're rallying. You, you, you're at a good spot. And I remember me being at those spots, and I remember being in some tough spots. And I looked around even those tough spots, and I always kind of had friends around. But I'm going to tell you where I had the toughest time in my career a lot of times was when I was at the top. When all of a sudden Waddell said, you know, people's looking back, friends of mine. I'm talking about like high school over there in, in Zebulon, Georgia, and Booger Bottom, Georgia, Manchester, Georgia. Now they assume Waddell's making bank. He's rich. He's killing a Cape Buffalo with a bow. It was friends of mine I went to high school with. I'm talking about guys that I loved, that we played football together, like – Oh, hell, I had to teach him how to hunt. Must be nice making millions. He, he ain't that good a hunter. I mean, I noticed when I got to the top, I would come back home and thinking it was going to be Rah, happiness. Rah. you know. And it I think lonely. that goes with country singers and everything to where I had people that I thought loved me the most that I'm proud. It's not like I'm coming back wanting to show them check stubs, but I'm proud of the fact that I, I had made it. Now, what I was making money-wise was far less than what they thought, but the assumption and and – you know, I've learned that perception is reality in most people's mind. And uh, and so I remember when I was at the point of my career to where I had the long lines and I had the opportunity to go hunt, and I was hanging out with Blake. I was hanging out with Rhett. I was hanging out with Singletary and all these guys, and I want to come tell them a story. They were almost like, everybody go to lunch, and they'd leave me. And like, well, you know, what else? Because, because when you're yeah. out doing it, they're at home talking about it. Yeah, they're then, mad at me. And you know because, what? Yeah, and I, it's I'm so funny that. you keep reverting back to country music because Jamie Johnson wrote a song. Do you know the one I'm about to refer to? It's about being lonely at the top, but it's a bitch at the bottom. And yeah. it, nobody wants to be at the bottom, but you're up here at the top. And all of a sudden, people are evading because they think that they know they taught you something. They think that they know what you're going through. They, they, they think that they're better hunter than you. And, yeah. I, and you got to sit there and you're like, man, do I need to persuade these guys why I'm doing what I'm doing? And then that's where your energy starts to get spent. And then you get exhausted. And then you get even more frustrated. And that anxiety yes. starts to build up. And then you start to do 
what we call weaken. And that's what I did is I started to get weak and I'd be like, I'd get approached by this guy. I'd be like, I could save your business. I could do this. Yes. All you gotta do is sign on exactly this. Exactly what I, happened to me. You, all you gotta do is sign right here. It will be on my jet to Dallas tomorrow to see a condo that you're going to be staying. And I'm like, man, I just, I just gave in because I got weak because I thought that people were going to have my back. And it, it was the exact opposite. Yes. And I mean that I no, really, 100%. I really thought that I was going to go, go like, man, look at this guy. He's making it. And I think that, you climb the rungs of a ladder in life. Go, Michael, go, go, Michael, go. And then you get to that top and you're like, man, I just killed a Cape Buffalo with my bow. I just got to host this with David Blanton. Bill Jordan's taking me to get an Osceola in Florida. And now yeah. all of a sudden they're throwing rocks at you to get yeah. you off of that rung. And you're like, yeah. wait a minute, you were just supporting me when I was on the third rung down. Yes. But that's where they were too. And they never finished. And then when you when they don't finish, the only thing they can do is pull you back to where they're at. That's exactly right. And that right. starts to hurt a person. If you're an emotional, passionate person like I am, my dad and mom taught me to love, respect, have manners. I was brought up the right way, and I've made a lot of mistakes that my daddy's rolling over in his grave and looking down from the heaven saying, what the heck's going on? Right. But I sit there and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just turned around and I was, you know, I, mm -hmm. I was just this duck hunter that was had a toilet business. And then all of a sudden I was doing this and I was losing friends. Yeah. I was losing support. And it should be the exact opposite. Like, hey, man, we were on the same rung, but just come on. I'm gonna bring you up with me. That's the kind of personality I have. Yeah. They wanted to say, no, no we that's want exactly you down right. here. Well, well, success in itself can be lonely. And I've learned, too, that um, there's a lot of people and I've learned this a lot in even business. A lot of people don't want people that they think are equal to them. They want you long as you're down on that ladder, but if they see you climbing it, they'll start booting you to try to knock you back down because they are insecure and they don't want you to be equal to them. And they damn sure don't want you to be above no them. Way. So what I've learned is I want people around me that I think deep down are probably better than me. And I've learned that that makes me better. So my security goes up when I'm around the best um, and, and, and I've, I've definitely learned that. So I've never, even Nick and T-Bone, they're legit great hunters that have unbelievable personalities. And I remember working with them and thinking, I want these guys because they're better than me. Nick Munt is better than me. He's a better hunter than me. T-Bone's a way better archer than me. It had been easy to, to, at the place I was, to try to pick somebody I thought was way less and not even close to equal. And so I've learned that in, in those times, like you went through and I went through, I did not understand it why, why when I was having some of the best runs of success, whether it was financial, whether it was just getting a chance to hang out with some of these artists or meet celebrities or, or go on these unbelievable hunts, you know, to kill these monster deer. Even when I bought my first piece of property, I just saw people aggravated. And then on the flip side of that, when I had some hiccups personally, those people that was almost not liking me when I was really not doing anything wrong. I really was not doing anything wrong other than succeeding. I, I wasn't running around. I wasn't being crazy. I didn't have a drug or alcohol problem. I was just honestly having fun and hunting and having a show that people liked. And people were hating me. Some of my friends were hating me. They can say they weren't, but they were so pissed at my success. But then all of a sudden, I did do something legitimately that was wrong. Now they back around, oh, what the hell, man, come on. But they loved the misery I was in. And I remember thinking right there, that is where I think kind of the Hank Williams Jr. story comes in, where not that I had a daddy that was, you know, doing hunting shows before me, but I'm, when I was at my point where I was like, these people – it almost made me an industry people like, yeah, you, you always good. And like, dude, I just heard a conversation. You was bashing me. Now you're two facing me. And like, I'm going to be out of the industry and 
I'm done and this, and you was bashing me to a partner, and you need to drop Waddell, he's going down. And now you're over here two-facing me. That was kind of what motivated me. So in my deepest part, just like Brent Cobb said, my loneliness is what motivated me and got me believing in myself again and almost competitive like a football player. Like, no, you still can't shoot a bow like me. You ain't going to have more fun than me, and I can still out-turkey call you. So there's where a little bit of the cockiness that I internalized in myself that pulled me back out of this little misery of myself was seeing these people that was just (laughs) – didn't like me because I had success, but now they're my best buddies in misery. Yep. So I found that you got to be careful in misery. That's where a lot of people come around. They want to come in, act like they consoling you, but in reality, they're seeing what they can't get out of you. What can they or manipulate pass you by and pass you or, or by. pass you by? Or how can I just put my foot on his throat and walk past you because where you were is where they want to be. Exactly. I saw a lot of that. So all of that helped me mature, and um, and and definitely all of it humbled me, but it gave me a drive. So as Brent said. Yeah, that loneliness and that misery is something you got to embrace. And people run from it. They quickly go get on drugs. They quickly do something stupid or they get on some kind of antidepressant. I'm not saying I'm against that. What I am saying is marvel in it, soak it in, and see how you react to it. Because that is where I think some of your best work comes. And that's what makes that point. that's what's yeah. going to make the person you're going to be for the ne- the dad you're going to be, the grandpa you're going to yes. be, the husband you're going to be, the son you're going to be for the next twenty. Let's say let's say Edwin lives another thirty years. You know genetics today your dad's going to be proud of you because oh, you've, you've made that turn and you're not going to you're not going to make those mistakes if anybody can sit here and say i wouldn't have done what he did i would put my hand on a bible and say i promise you you would in yeah. my opinion you would and i've had good friends pull me aside and man when i was in my lowest of lows and they'd pull me i remember coney island bar my good buddy i won't say his name but he knows who he is and he listened he's been on this podcast and he listens to all of them he put me in a headlock he said look we all would have done it yeah, we all, and I'm I got tears, and I'm just yeah. still can't forgive myself, and I'm beating myself up over it. And my dad's rolling over in his grave, and my mom's disappointed, my best friend's disappointed, my brothers are disappointed, and I'm sitting there going, "Man, I don't, I don't really know if I could pull out of this." And what he said to me that night is that nobody understands that part of the lifestyle that you go from just being regular Joe out in northern Reno, Nevada, and now all of a sudden you're in Fort Lauderdale in the Bahamas catching marlin or catching yep. tuna on a boat where you really have no business being, but you got invited because of this. I don't know why. That's why I was asking you, why did you get to go on Blake's bus? Why did you get to go on Miranda's Cadillac? Why did you get their phone numbers? Why at the meet yeah. and greets? Why are you signing autographs with them? Why did Michael Waddell have a line longer than th- it looked like the gunnies at the Glock booth at the shot show? It looked like the Duck Commander <laughs> guys when the when Duck Commander, when Duck Dynasty was on top. Your lines were like that. And so th- I'm sitting here trying to tell you, like, look, man, I was watching from the outside in, Waddy, and we'll go eat right after this. Is that I was watching from the outside in. I always felt like this connection with you because it was like Man, I'm going through the same shit he is when I didn't even know exactly, exactly what you were going through. It was through. almost exactly, yeah. I, and, and I think now where I'm at is uh, I'm more convicted than ever, and that's why like there's a there's a, a lot of personalities and a lot of people got successful companies now, and and I definitely don't know it all, but you know there is a lot of people now that I almost want to befriend, and I see it from an outside now, kind of like you was on the outside, but inside too, looking at me and vice versa, me looking at you. And I remember you, you want to talk, you want to be able to say, hey, man, be careful of this. And, you know, but you got to be careful because some people are like, oh, man, he thinks he knows everything or whatever. But it's almost like it's not a, It's not like you're trying to teach somebody. You're quicker to want to tell somebody about that than you would be how to work a duck because 
the duck stuff you can figure out. You can give them tips on that, but it's some of this career, this life stuff. And, and the only way you can learn it is to live it, and that's why the life ain't for everybody, and that's why country music, everybody wants to come to Nashville and make it as a country singer. Dude, man, I've been, you, you know, you, you hang with a lot of these artists. I have seen their everyday life. Let me tell you something. The, what they really want to do is play music. They don't, I mean, they I said. I, I said, Brent, I said, what's yeah. the What's your favorite part of touring? And he goes, going home. Going home. <laughs> <laughs> he's tr- he's like, going I don't, don't want to be out there. Yeah. He goes, I love it. I respect it, but I won't be out there. No. He, he made a comment in a podcast I did with him. He said, the difference in songwriting today is that back then, Hank and Johnny and Willie, and they wrote songs when they were sober and when they were high. So you got the full array, you got the full array of it. Yeah. And that's what you're saying is that, hey, man, it's easy for Waddell to be on camera and be you know, when he's high, he's like, but you're sitting here telling me the exact opposite. You were doing your best work when you're in the pitfall. Yeah, I really was. Because you were hanging on to it. You were finally, yeah. you were finally, and I'm not saying that you ever took it for granted, but I have found myself like yeah. taking my lifestyle for granted. Like, okay, I'm going to put this in, into, in, into fruition or into the way that I understand it, the way that I'm going to break it down to myself. Who would not want to be doing what I'm doing? If you love to duck hunt mm-hmm. and you love gear, and you love traveling, who wouldn't want to be doing it? That's yeah. how I broke it down myself. So don't mess it up. I right. don't, and I was looking in from the outside when I heard a comment about you in this city. I, was, I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember who was there. There were seven dudes in the circle, and this one person said this comment to me. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, and I went, man, I ought to hit you, man. Like That's not, that's not right to say about somebody oh, yeah. based on just what we think happened. And I looked at it. I looked at my, I, I remember who I was standing with and you've met the guy before, not through me, but I looked at him. I said, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this kind of talk. And it was about somebody was getting ready to drop you. And I was like, I don't want to hear this. This ain't right. cool to me. Right. I'm out on this deal. And, and so I started thinking like, man, this is exactly what I was going through. That phone call's coming. I know I'm going to get that Rolex call that Tiger Woods was getting. Not that I'm trying to put me or you on yeah, that yeah. level. But I knew I was going to get that call. And I never did. Right. I never did. I, 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 I owned up to it. I owned every bit of it. And I said to myself, I'm never going to be that guy again. And right. now if you talk to my friends, they probably get tired of me talking about oh, I'm sure not being too, yeah. that dude, not being that guy. Well, I think that's part of, you know, you ask questions. I ever forgive myself about any of my actions. You, I have, and, and you're the same way. The reason we talk about it is a part of the fact that we have forgiven, but there's a part of us that's never left. And so I think that's why we do talk about it. But, uh, but at the same time, man, it, it's unbelievable. And that's the only place, when I went through everything, even where I'm at now, and this might even potentially would lose me a partner quicker than than anything I could do in my personal actions. But I learned real quick that I was not a fan of this industry, that I'm a fan of outdoor culture and hunting. So it's kind of like the same. When I tell you I love God and love Jesus, I mean it, but I don't like religion. Religion gets on my nerves. This industry gets on my nerves, the backstabbing, the two-faced, the unlegitimate. There's people out here down here on this floor that's down here being an expert turkey caller trying to do this and that, and they couldn't hunt their way out of a wet paper sack. Now, if I'm going to talk about all the things I talk about in my own personal life, I'll call a spade a spade. There's, I'm not going to call any names, but there's a lot of people, a lot of Instagram influencers that are in it strictly because they're hoping to sign an autograph. You and I didn't get into it to sign an autograph. We got into it because, oh, my God, there's a blessing that we might could do this for a living. This is what I live to do anyway. And so that's that's kind of how we got blessed to do that. But when it gets down to it, this industry sometimes stands of its way of our own progression. And so that's what saved me was the fact that the one thing people couldn't take away was my legitimacy. 
not me being a pro hunter, in every contract I have, it is disallowed. You cannot label me in any media or anything as a professional hunter because I hate the term. Yep. I just won't take it out. I mean, Thompson Center had this thing, Pro Hunter Series, and like, you know, Pro Hunter Jim Shockey, Pro Hunter Greg Ritz. I set out on – they had to change the whole script, and I set it out. I said, I'm not I'm, – they was like, we pay us. I'm not – you can't call me a pro hunter. I don't want to be a pro hunter. I'm just a hunter. And so I hate that term, and I hate the fact that people get into it, and I realized that the only thing that saved me through a lot of these things was you could hate me uh, for my personal actions, but you can't take the – you can't take my legitimacy away. You can't take the fact that I did win a world championship. I was a grand national champion. I can kill a turkey. I do know how to set up a bow, and I can shoot a bow. I truly, passionately love it, love it, you're love not it, a, love You're it. not a prima donna. I'm not a prima donna, and so I really got into it for the hunting, not the celebrity part of it. And so when it got gets down to it, I think, I think the part of it that that was so cool was the fact that a lot of those people that I had a chance to see that was two faced behind my back, I had a chance to call them out, and some of them I had a chance to see and watch them crawl, Dad, and especially now. You know, after all that time later, when you go back 2009 and 10, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, again, I am humble, but there's a, there is vindication when I can. The last Golden Moose Awards, I'm hosting it. And it's almost like me. Ha ha! Who's got the mic? Yeah. Not y'all, but me. You do a great me. job. And so that, it's, it's almost like it, 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 there's, there's, a, there's that little bit of chip on my shoulder through my own actions, but also through the people that wanted to step I knew there would be, and that's why I got, and that was I got that chip you on my shoulder that it. night in that circle, though, and I heard that about you. I was like, I yeah. don't even know the cat. Right. I mean, I've, t I've said hi. We're not friends by any means. I think we're friends now. But, oh, yeah, no But doubt. back then, I was like, I don't like hearing that about the dude because I looked up to you as the guy in the industry, and right. I knew what you were going through. I knew exactly yeah. <laughs> what was going on. I was like, man, quit judging people, man. Quit saying. And a lot of those people that say the most, whether it's about you, me, or anybody, or or lord i even heard it with blake i had i'd got i'm the same way i got so i remember when blake blake and miranda and i were friends we hunted together and uh you know and but it didn't work out but immediately you know everybody blake blake's running around on miranda with gwen yep. and of course there's a lot of stories you know I, it ain't none of my business i just liked them both as people and they were hunters and and uh and so i remember people just coming up immediately and bashing blake to me you know, and Blake's my friend. They're like, man, I can't believe Blake. Man, I can't believe he'd ever leave Morant and this and that. And I'm like, dude, first of all, it's none of your business. You know nothing. nothing. I mean, you know nothing about the situation. I don't know nothing about it, and it ain't none of my business, man. I, you know, and so uh, it's amazing what people think they know. And so for me, uh, you know, you got the truth, and you got what people think is the truth, and you got all this talk, and you got this industry hoopla and this and that, and people bowed up and macho men toting around this and that, and – and the biggest thing they're toting around that puts them in shape is their ego. And so for me, I just sat back and watched and laughed and, and enjoyed that part of it. And those were the parts, too, where I was in those ruts and I was seeing these people that did help me produce some of my best work because I was having to lean on the culture of hunting. So for me to escape and get my mind right, I needed to work a turkey. You know, I needed to hang a deer stand and try to get, get within range of a nice buck. And so when I would do that, it gave me a chance to focus and to be the best I could be because I was using hunting like my dad had as a, you know, starving construction worker, you know, carpenter trying to make ends meet. But that Saturday morning was just church to go out there and try to kill a deer in a clear cut with 30 out six. So I went back to my roots when you I was going to. Through, yeah. And so that, it, it's just really cool. And I, I love when I hear, man, he don't even set up his own decoys. He doesn't even, he's hunting on all the best oh, yeah, yeah. And this last weekend I was like, 
I was with my daughter, 2020 Nevada State Youth Hunt, had six kids out there. There was 21 kids total. We, had, we were responsible for six. I drove the boat, and I did good at it. And I set up the spread, and I was like, man, I know how to set up decoys. All these people on the internet Can't tell me I suck it. at it. Exactly. And then I saw the ducks, and I spotted them. I, they weren't just canaries flying around. They were actually ducks. When I said, here comes some ducks, yeah. they were really ducks. My daughter trusted me, and I was like, I really can do this. I and I started thinking like, <laughs> man, I'm 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 pretty good duck hunter. Yeah. We just killed some ducks. And I now I'm got a knife and I'm skinning them. And guess what? This is my recipe and I'm actually cooking them now. This I mean, awesome. look at what's going on here. These people had already persuaded me that I don't even know how to do this <laughs> stuff anymore. They will. I tell you a quick story, man. And this was early in my career. Um, this was the second year of road trips. I remember it like yesterday. Um, Realtree allowed me to go to Mississippi and speak and do seminars and get paid. It was one of the first times I ever had a chance to get paid outside of my salary at Realtree. They, it had to go through the board, and they approved it. And I got hired by the Mississippi Hunting Expo. I forget what, what, what exactly organization. But I went, and same thing. They had a little deal set up at their Mississippi Exposition deal, and, and I, they had bought some road trips hats, and I'm signing them. And there was a, a, a good long line. And they was and at that particular show you could buy beer and they was three or four guys kept coming by heckling me. I mean like like pretty hard on me like and they were they were drinking and they were what hell what hell um what hell it comes a family but uh but what they kept what hell what hell they they're yelling at me and like yeah you think you're a star who who is this guy and they just the whole time and even some of the fans in line were getting mad like man go away you know shut up and they're pushing them pushing them out and. So finally kept coming by, and they were just sitting over there drinking beer, watching me talk and interact with people. And they said, man, who is this guy anyway? That's what they kept saying, loud. You know, I'm like, and so I finally said, hold on a second. I put, put the Sharpie down, and I walked over there. And I said, I can tell you who the hell I am. I said, I'm somebody that can outshoot you any day of the week. I said, I come here just specifically to find you. I said, I didn't bring my bow, but if y'all got y'all's piece of shit bow, Get them out of the truck, and I'm walking out in this parking lot, going to show y'all how to shoot them. And I said, and if y'all don't believe me, also, it's about turkey season. I want the keys to your turkey lease because I'm going to kill every turkey you got, and I'm going to show you. <laughs> and I said, so I'm tired of hearing your smack talking. If you want to put up a shut up, I said, put up a shut up. You got your girls with you. If I outshoot y'all, then I'll, I, I will shoot your bow and, and outshoot you. And dude, immediately, ch- and I meant it. I wasn't even trying to be for fun. And, and then every one of them like, why the hell we knew you was one enough, man? We love your ass. Yeah. Exactly what they said. And and I totally just went redneck. Just totally like, I'm, I'm, I don't have enough of these guys. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I'm just like, in, in reality, me standing here is exactly them dudes. I was the guy that freaked out when I was dating a girl in high school and Kirk Cameron was in this restaurant and my girlfriend <laughs> wanted to go get a picture. And I'm like, dude, Kirk Cameron, he gets little sissy show you know kurt cameron's one of the finest human beings on earth man and i remember so mad and so that's what those guys are doing to me in reality soon as i went over there and basically like get your stuff you know just rednecked up on them dude those guys talking about trading cell numbers out of all the people i met they're the only ones that they had little flip phones we had each other's numbers and i kept up with them went back and turkey hunting with the guys and they were honestly hating on me but i remember after that all happened i was like Dude, I was ready to go over and fight them guys. I really wanted them to go get a bow and show them I could outshoot them. Yeah. And so, as humble as I was, it's like it went football. I, yeah. I, I totally just about to run through the football sign on them. But they then when I did that, if I'd have walked over and said, "Hey guys, I just want to tell you, man, you know, 
you're misjudging me. I'm, I like to hunt, and I'm, you know, I did. I really did win a turkey call. They would have like, oh, that eating you, dude. Alive. You suck. And they had a, and they'd have kept throwing stuff. They would have threw beer cans. Yeah, but you. they were testing me, and so uh, it's funny. A lot of these people that you see that hate on you, they, they just want. They're really just angry, and actually, there's just some insecurity, and they and they're jealous. I mean, jealous. I, everybody, every man's been jealous. Oh, yeah. I think they're really jealous, and I tell people all the time, look, if I wasn't me, I'd be jealous myself. Some of the things I've got to do in places yeah, I've got I mean, a chance to hunt. Same whole, with you, dude. That's the whole thesis of this this discussion was. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen again in the capacity that it did. I'm not saying that it won't in other industries, but in this particular industry, to do what you were doing and to be the, a, afforded the opportunities that were being presented to you, put in your face. And I'm talking constantly. I was watching. I was like, this dude is a deer hunter and look what yeah. he's doing. And I was like, how unbelievable is this? This is awesome. I remember going to this, the seven years ago, going to the signing here and you guys had a little platform deal and people had to walk upstairs and the line was a mile long and you got on the microphone and said, Hey, I'm Mike Waddell bone collector. And I'm going to end it there. Cause I want to, we got to go meet Bobby Johnson right now. I want to start, I want to do part two. Cause I, yeah, we yeah. haven't even talked about hunting. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even talked about, I want to talk about Daryl some more because, oh man, man, I miss, I miss his voice, I do too, man. but I want, I want to get more into the, the fun Michael Waddell of what has made you and kept you here. Because yeah. I really think there's just one thing that really that re- people really were captivated by, and that was the realism. That was like, I want to be in camp with that guy like we talked about, and I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about my feelings when I saw the signing and what you said that day to me, and I'm like, that really resonated with me. I want to talk about that on the next one. I'd like to do part two. We'll schedule it. This was Heck, awesome. Yeah. This was awesome. I didn't know it was going to go down that road. I was just like, I wonder what Waddell would do if I if I hit on one little topic. You know, oh, like, man. No, and it, and it did. It kind of it was a good deal. So I want to say thank you for what you do. Congratulations on all the success. I don't get envious or jealous of what you've done because I think it's unbelievable. And what really pissed me off the most about your career is when I saw you wearing the Waffle House shirt and the hat. <laughs> and then I found out you were sponsored by Waffle House. I was like, he's a deer hunter sponsored by Waffle House. And then I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. That's where deer hunters go after they get out of the woods. Right. So why not have the biggest deer hunting celebrity in the country wearing a Waffle House hat? And I don't know if it happened through Realtree. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that Waffle House to... Realtree to Blake Shelton to the trips to the hunts to the success to the downfalls to the depression everything that's gone into it here you are at 46 and you've been there done that and now you can go into your fatherhood of, of raising these little ones and, and being married and, yeah. and and be like hey man this is me I'm, I've never been happier and that's right. what it's all about no it, doubt everything happens for a reason bub I promise Look, you that that's just it Chad and thank you for having me on big fan of what you've done like I said I uh, I can take a lot of pride in saying, hey, man, I knew it was going to happen. I, rem- I remember, like I said, first time I met you and, and seeing your sizzle reel and seeing seeing what you was putting together and where you were going. And I remember walking away. Like I said, there's two people I remember vividly. It was you and Kip. And I was like, man, I like both these guys. They're going to make it. And that's that's a lot of people out there. And, and that's just it, man. I, I think at the end of the day, being real, you don't – when you're real, that don't mean everybody's going to like you. But at least the people like you like you for what you are – and the people that don't like you will know why they don't like you. And I think that's You're why, never going to get yeah, them all. Yeah, that's why I like the You're politics of what we see now is, you know, it's election year is people don't know. And I think that's a prime example of the Donald Trump, you know. Well, we're every, talking about that in yeah. part two because I know how oh, you're Lord. outspoken on it. And I like it. Yeah. I like it. I like where you're going with all that. I, I'm 100% in agreement. I think that you use it the right way. 
I don't think that you get on a soapbox. I think right. that you're very motivating with the way that you do it. And I think that you do it for the right reasons. I want to talk about all that because you do have a, a, an uncanny ability to get that message across. And it's, it's really neat how you do it. And not everybody does it because they can't straight up. It, they it, just can't. It it's, sometimes can be hard. It, it's tough, especially, you know, somebody like Trump, because everything he does, even people vote for him don't, don't necessarily love everything. No. But I think at the end, it gets back ties in what we're saying. At least you're real. There's no fakeness to it. And, and I think that's what people are afraid of. There's a lot of nice people that just seem to do everything right. But some reason you don't necessarily yearn to them or take to them or, or them, you know, him or her. And, and, and I think that's the whole thing that I've learned when if it's okay to say, I don't know, um, you know, or, you know, I've been like, if I go duck hunting with you tomorrow, there's going to, you would teach me so much. I wouldn't even have ever even thought about doing. And, and I still learn every year and it might be from a 17 year old, you know, elk guide or even a turkey hunter that, you know, like, man, what did you do? What are you doing right there? Or, or, or. You know, I love doing. I, that. I love of, being a sponge. Yeah, I do too. But that's what separates people that want that that are successful. In my opinion, is yeah. that they're not always talking. They're listening. and They're becoming sponges. And failure is going to teach you that. Yes. My baseball coach in college always told me, "You better learn how to take something out of every at bat, every yeah. game. You can't walk away from here and just have a smile on your face when you win. That's not when you're learning. Yeah, you got to learn from your downfalls. And Jordan said it best, man. He, he can't. You know, he's he became a champion when he learned how to fail. That's and right. I and I think that the whole thesis of this podcast is that you have yes you have yes. bad fell no you fall on your face fell and, and I yeah. love how I just love it we're we're leaving the story you started off with about this city right here Music City USA Nashville Tennessee it blows my mind that you started that and then we ended with how it all started and yeah. why you were feeling that I think it it's kind of full I think circle it's great I, it's I'm proud circle. of it let's go eat part two coming up but you got you just told me about well if I went duck hunting with you tomorrow I'm telling you this straight up like. I'm inviting myself in a way just to be kind of tough guy on microphone, but I'm coming turkey hunt with you this week. Oh, that was, oh, come on, man. Can I for real? We can, we'll find a place But I want to do it yeah. traditional. I want to cut one at yeah. 10 o'clock coming off of the hen. Yeah. Coming to get a second. And I want to get, uh, you know, backed up against the tree. And I yeah. want to, and I want to see Waddell do what he does that I've been watching oh, on would, TV for all these years. I would love that. I would love that. That That's like my favorite thing. My wife calls me the turkey Nazi. She's like, what you know people will go hunting with me and i man i go crazy turkey hunting it's like i can call I, you and come i hunt them like i i just pretend like they're al-qaeda you know <laughs> but uh I, I just love you that that's michael waddell yeah. the bone collector <laughs> instagram official bone collector right. at official bone collector he is legitimately the the uh i i don't want to do it in front of him but he's my favorite of all time he is the reason i wanted to be on outdoor television from road trips to 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 all real tree outdoors to the road trips to all the big buck dvds that you were on to all the hunts that you did all the smiling on camera thank you michael waddell this has been another episode of this life ain't for everybody we will be back with michael in the near future with part two of this podcast tom please hit that button this is leith lofton what you gonna do when the money's all gone what you gonna do when the money's all gone say life owners won't last that long what you gonna do when the money's all gone